0: hello everyone welcome back to another episode of the badass female podcast now let's talk about that elephant in the room valentine's day whether you love it hate it or don't care about it there's no deleting this from your calendar or diary trust me i have tried it is here to stay so I thought, let's talk to a couple's therapist and get her take on Valentine's Day and how she herself feels about it. Dr. Kendra O'Hora is a marriage and family therapist based in the US. She runs her own clinic called Wellness & Co. which offers a variety of different kinds of therapy. Dr. O'Hora herself, being a marriage and family therapist, specialises in helping people improve their romantic relationships and any ground typing. And what's that I hear you say? Well, that's exactly what I asked Dr. O'Hora to explain. Um, In today's episode, we dive into what the Enneagram personality type system is and how finding out what type we fall into can help us with our relationships. We also talk about how the Enneagram types tie into the five love languages presented by Gary Chapman. If you don't know what the five love languages are, I highly recommend you look them up. It's basically a theory that everyone expresses and receives love in a certain way, either by words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts. Quality time or physical touch. I'm sure the theory is a lot more complicated than how I just explained it, but it, go give it a Google if you haven't heard of it. So yeah, Dr. Kendra O'Hora explains how being a therapist was in 2020. It was a really trying year for most, and 2021 is no different, to be honest. Um, so it's really interesting to get um, a therapist's point of view on um, on a pandemic. Let's let's be real; it's just that's Cool, spade to spade um so we also talk about how therapy is kind of stigmatized um this whole thing of going to couples therapy i'm doing air quotes for those of you obviously actually none of you can see me so i'm doing air quotes going to couples therapy um and i feel like in the films and tv it's quite um well it's presented as a bad thing it's something that you do when you're basically. Your marriage is in shambles and you're going to get divorced anyway um but actually dr kendra O'Hora actually explains that that's not the case and it couples therapy in particular can be a very healthy thing for a normal couple to do to maintain their relationship um, she describes it as like you know any other routine appointment that you go to every year like your doctor or your ob or your dentist um, you know going to therapy can be like that for many people and it can be helpful if you um, use it like that um so please everyone delete that scene from how to lose a guy in 10 days from your mind i know we're all thinking it andy anderson asking benjamin berry to go to therapy with her after three days of going out with him um yeah that's not the reality of what therapy is um so listen to this episode and you'll get probably a a more true um, clear insight into what um, therapy is actually like um, and what therapists actually kind of do uh, which I hadn't really thought of before um, and she also talks about how therapists aren't these intimidating people that pass judgments on you um, they're actually there more as to guide you in the right direction um, to help you improve in whatever issue you went um, to see the therapist for in the first place so um, that's that was also an interesting discussion uh, that we have in this podcast episode so yes so uh, i think without further ado here to talk with us today about relationships the enneagram therapy stigma valentine's day and so much more is dr kendra o'hara and um, so let's get on with the podcast podcast. Um, this is the podcast for, well, just everything from the female perspective and just for badass women in general. Um, and today I have another badass female with me. <laughs> Her name is Dr. Kendra O'Hora, and she's a marriage and family therapist based in the United States, right? United States. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So without further ado, why don't you introduce yourself and give us all like, the details like what you do and that kind of
1: stuff perfect yeah so hi everyone dr kendra ohura here so i am a marriage and family therapist that's what i do the majority of my time is couples therapy work Um, my main gig is couples therapy and i own a group practice so i actually have uh, seven other clinicians who work for me who also do a variety of therapy um, and couples coaching as well on the side, I also really enjoy educating other people. So I use my Instagram platform to educate people on couples therapy, the myths of couples therapy, and also like just in general relationship health. Um, so encouraging people to kind of continue on in their relationship, to fight the good fight, to, to work, to uncover their own, you know, bias and to work through their own struggles and to make their relationship as healthy as possible. So those are kind of the different domains. I also dabble in the Enneagram, which I know is like a pop culture thing right now. Um, and that's really been a journey for probably the last six or so years, but last year I was, um, selected to be on the board of the Narrative Enneagram which is one of the largest organizations in the United States that teaches and trains professionals in the Enneagram so you know being on the board has also provided this opportunity for me to learn more about the Enneagram but also to offer that as part of my services.
0: That's really great Um, and could you just explain to the listeners a bit more about what the Enneagram is because I think I heard of it before and then I kind of forgot about it for a while and then (laughs) I was like Googling it yesterday. So could you like just give more information?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the Enneagram is essentially a personality system. What sets it apart from other systems is that it provides you a typology. So you get a type, if you will. Um, You know, with the Myers-Briggs, you have a type. With the DISC, you have a type. So with the Enneagram, you're either type one through nine. So you're one of nine types. Um, But when you get that type, you also have a path of growth. And that's what really makes it different is it's not just like boxing you in, but it's also freeing you up to your core potential and who you really are. NEM means nine. So that's where we get the nine types. And gram means Uh drawing. So it's a nine pointed drawing. And if you've seen the drawing, it looks a little complex or a little weird, but really it's, it's just a, a drawing that shows you the core of who you are and also your potential and who you can become. So that's particularly why I like it. Um, it covers all different realms of, of relationships, of personal health, of core needs, fears, motivation. So it's the most comprehensive system that I've come across in, in all of my years of study and schooling. So that's what, that's why I love it so much.
0: Mm, I love anything that's like, you know, you can get the personality tests that are based on the Enneagram and other uh, personality typing systems as well, I guess. I did it yesterday, but like not the official one, but I did like a, you know, one of the knockoff ones (laughs) and I got number seven, which was like labeled as like the adventurer or the, Mm -hmm. there was another word for it, but
1: yeah. Epicure. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So I was like, I want to get my boyfriend to do it, to see like what he is because I know he'll definitely be different to me I think
1: well keep me posted because we could always do a typing interview which are they're more valid than
0: online typing yeah yeah definitely but it's so interesting because you have to be so what's the problem though you have to be so honest when you answer those questions Mm -hmm. like but like some of the questions you don't want to some of them you don't want to admit like I don't know questions like or statements that you have to agree or disagree with like I always think I'm going to succeed or I don't care about what people think. And like, you have to be really brutal with yourself to get like an honest result, I guess, don't you? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And what I always tell people is the online tests are not statistically valid. So currently there isn't a test that is sufficient in giving you an accurate result. So I always caution people, like you said, it's a knockoff test, it can be fun. But sometimes it can actually be more trouble because if you get a type that's not really your type, then it can be really hard to figure out, well, what is my type now that I've taken three tests and they've all given me different answers, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how long, So ha- wait, how long have you been a therapist now?
1: Um, I've been a therapist um, for eight years.
0: Oh, wow, okay. So you have some experience under your belt.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And how long have you had your practice?
1: Um, I opened my practice in the end of 2016 and kind of did my own thing for a little while, had a business partner, and then we decided to kind of do our own thing again. So the practice has ebbed ebbed and flowed over the years, but about since 2017, so four or so years. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's like like the duration of like a university degree. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually, that's the amount of time I've been in Poland as an expat, So yeah, (laughs) there you go.
1: It's a good comparison. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Time, honestly, like when I came here and then compared to now, it's just, it's like yesterday when I, when I did that three years ago, made that decision to move. So Mm -hmm. can imagine time's flown for you as well?
1: Yes. Yes. And, and it's been a journey of growing the practice too, because for a while it was just me and, and then it got to be that I couldn't take on more clients like I was just too busy so over the years I've hired more and more therapists and, and coaches and various providers and that's kind of made it more fun to have a team
0: mm. I imagine has that allowed you to like di- diversify the services you offer like in terms mm-hmm. of therapy
1: yeah yeah we have people who specialize in different areas so I have one clinician who she, her expertise is in the realm of like birth trauma and postpartum and supporting moms. Oh, I have another yes. clinician she supports um, anxiety and depression, another who specializes in addiction. So, yeah, we kind of cover a, a large realm.
0: Mm. And have you found, um, slight segue, but like in 2020, <laughs> have you found, like, first of all, working as a therapist harder? Because I imagine you've had to do a lot of stuff online. And also, has there been certain issues being brought to your attention by clients? who need therapy like because of 2020
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good question um there i would say most therapists would say 2020 was probably one of the hardest you know years of their career um for a variety of reasons like changing to an entirely virtual system is a you know a shock to to all providers so that took some adjusting the fatigue of looking at a screen all day not getting to be face to face with clients but then you know, in the United States, we also had an election, we had riots going on in our country, like just yes. lots of um, political turmoil. And I think for a lot of reasons, our clients were just unraveled, um, feared yes. fearing for their loved ones, fearing for a variety of reasons. So I think it was a particularly difficult year for therapists. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that I noticed anything particular. I mean, people talked about the election more than, than normal. Um, mm. People definitely talked about the riots and their opinions on that more than normal, but I wouldn't say anything specific to, you know, quarantining or things like that. What I will say is I would think more people reached out. So mm-hmm. in the couples, in the couples therapy world, what we typically see is like couples will have a problem and then they'll just ignore it or avoid it for a little while, ignore, ignore, ignore. And on average couples wait six years before they actually finally wow. reach out. Mm-hmm. That's it's crazy. a long time. So what I noticed was more people were getting to their breaking point. More people were like, you know, living with my spouse 24-7, having my kids home 24-7. Like, mm. I, need, I need the help now. I can't just push it under the rug. So that's probably what I, I would say I saw. If
0: I wanted to ask, Because I've heard about, uh, like switching gears a bit, um, the love languages. I can't remember who came up with that, do you know?
1: Gary Chapman.
0: Yeah. Um, And I was wondering if the Enneagram kind of mixes with love languages.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Yes and no. I think what what I typically see is there are typical love languages associated with each type. And there's, you know, there's a lot on Instagram where people ask their followers these questions, too. And so, for example, we know type ones are very productive people. They're very effective people. Um, They're highly motivated, highly energetic. And so as a result, they often give the love language of acts of service and they often like to receive the love language of acts of service. Um, Type eight is a type that is really intense, um, sometimes even considered lustful. And so, you know, they enjoy the the love language of physical touch. That being said, I think every type needs all five love languages. So, what I, what I enjoy is when I see accounts that they cater all five love languages to that specific type. So they would go through and they would say, what is a good way to meet the love language of gift giving for a type three? What is a good way to meet the love language of encouraging words for a type three? And they'll go Mm -hmm. through all five for each one. And I like that because I think that kind of shows you how can you love your partner or someone in your life um, in all five ways based on their type.
0: Yeah, that makes sense because I feel like from my experience, I have used all, all of those languages. It's not like I pick up communication and that's it. Or, you know, it, mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things that depends on the context. And I think diversity is key, you know, mm-hmm. keeps it and interesting.
1: A, right. And a big component of the love languages that a lot of people forget is, you know, if let's say quality time is your highest love language, so you really love quality time. The key here is like if you don't get quality time, it, it really stinks and it's hard for you. But if you get quality time that's not good, that's what hurts more. And mm. so I always tell people like think of it like a tank and Gary Chapman uses that metaphor too, like a gas tank. If you, you know, if you're sitting down to spend quality time with your partner and it's their favorite love language and you're like on your phone or you're giving them a hard time, like that's really going to hurt them. And so, you know, when we give love languages, we need to give all five, but we need to be really careful to not cause more pain in the areas that are most important to our partner.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's also good, I guess, to understand what, I guess everybody has maybe a preference for what mm-hmm. love language they prefer. But I mean, as you said, probably everybody experiences all of them, but mm-hmm. I sure. I mean, Mine changes day to day to be honest i couldn't even say like what i prefer but i'm pretty sure it's important that your partner will say respects yours yes as well as you respect theirs Yes. Yeah.
1: and we tend to give the love we want to receive so if we are encouraging people then we you know that's what we want back is we want people to give us a pat on the back we want people to celebrate our victories so we tend to do that for other people so sometimes it can be easy to see what someone's love language is because all you have to do is observe how do they give love? That's often mm. what they want back.
0: Yeah, because I think maybe a lot of people might get into arguments because someone might feel, for example, that their needs or their love language isn't being like fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But then the other person is blindsided because they're like, well, wait. Yes, but I showed you I loved you in this way. So if someone's like... You didn't buy me a Valentine's present, for example, <laughs> and then the other one's like, "Yeah, but you know, I say I love you every day. Like, what's the, you know, I, isn't that clear? I love you, you know." So I imagine that's quite a common, like, problem in couples. I know I'm, I'm probably I'm sure that I've experienced that before, where like, mm-hmm. and it's always unconscious as well. Like, you have to consciously remind yourself that they express themselves differently to you
1: well and the Enneagram and the five love languages are both brilliant resources for understanding your partner having compassion for your partner kind of understanding the ways that they think and work and show show up in the world so both are really good tools
0: Mm -hmm. so you meet up with clients don't you and you actually do you I mean, you do a lot better, obviously, than the online knockoff tests that we have. So you actually type people, right?
1: Yeah. So a a typing interview is a little bit of a misnomer in some ways, but I'll at least explain the process so people can be aware. So a typing interview is designed to help a person land in their type. So if you and I were doing a typing interview, I'm organizing the space and asking questions and picking up on the themes and then pulling them together and offering them back to you. And when I offer them back to you, I'm doing it in a structured way so that we can really hone in on what are the options available for you based on your personality and based on how you answered questions. So in the narrative tradition, that's like the school of thought that I'm trained in when it comes to the Enneagram. We believe the best way to determine someone's type is to listen to their stories, to listen to how how they communicate about their life, their experiences, what um, makes their heart sing, what makes their heart hurt, things like that. And so When I ask strategic questions, I can elicit those stories that help me identify where someone might find themselves on the Enneagram. So at the end of the interview, what I do is I typically offer someone two or three types. I explain about the types, I tell them, you know, what are the core things to know about each type? And then I ask them, do any of those resonate with how you see yourself or how people see you? And typically from there, we can hone into maybe one or two types that they can then research. Uh, watch some, you know, YouTube clips on, or look at, you know, on Instagram, and then they can land in the type themselves. And why we do it this way is because we want the power to remain in the hands of the person. So I'm not some like magical yeah. guru that's like, you know, boom, you're type eight. But I'm more so someone who's saying, here's all of the knowledge and information. Let me hand it to you so you can decide for yourself.
0: Mm, I like that that you kind of because I think everyone has this misconception of therapists that they make judgments on you and that's that and that there's no other questions kind of thing but I like the mm-hmm. fact that you can it, would you say it's kind of like guiding people in the right direction yeah absolutely yeah, yeah you
1: create a space where you can offer back to them the potential the options mm. um help them consider the different angles and, and really empower them to make the decisions for themselves and support them no matter how it
0: goes mm. and so would you do you meet with individuals or is it couples or like a mix
1: yeah good question so when i do just enneagram typing interviews it can it's an individual so it's one-to-one um sometimes couples will want me to do both of them and and i i can do that um the other person can listen in and watch but they can't contribute so they can't answer any of the questions so it can get a little bit tricky but for the most part it's one-on-one um, and then when I finish a typing interview, I give someone a re- resource packet, which is essentially just a guide that I've created with all of the best podcasts, all of the best Instagram accounts and books to read. And, you know, it, it's really the websites, the information that they can then use for their own exploration and discovery. Um, sometimes I also do what I like to call like a roadmap session. So we do the Enneagram typing interview. It takes it typically a full hour. And then I follow that up with a, a second call, typically again an hour, where we take the information, we take the type, and you know, they've done some digging, they've landed in type, and then we come up with a very specific plan for how they can grow and learn based on their Enneagram type. And I love those sessions because it takes it beyond the meme culture of the Enneagram mm-hmm. and beyond the stereotypes and actually shows someone, hey, like I have a way that I can get back to myself and I can grow and I can become the healthiest version of me if I really work the system of the Enneagram. It's not just a set of characteristics. It's more than that. It's it's a path too. So I like doing mm-hmm. those sessions.
0: And is that for the individual but also for, the, for their relationships as well?
1: Well, yeah, it, similar. Yeah, it's, it's an individual process, um, but I have a variety of different services I offer. So I also offer couples roadmap sessions. And those aren't really based on the Enneagram, those are more based on the relationship. So if I do those sessions, I I meet with a couple, I call it like a check-in, a health check-in, just like you would go to your doctor to get a check-in or go to the OBGYN or pediatrician if you have kids. I think all relationships should have a yearly check-in. So I do Mm -hmm. offer those. And it's a one-off session where a couple fills out a questionnaire. They answer a bunch of questions about their relationship. We meet together. I ask a ton of questions to gain a sense of them. And then there's a follow-up packet of information where it's like, based on what you shared with me, here's the way that you guys can grow for the next couple months um so it's a variety of different things that i offer back to the community but all of them are really meant to help people grow and heal and empower and and be Mm. the best version of them and in the relationships
0: yeah i imagine that's quite a rewarding job to do
1: yeah it is
0: have you had many i mean have you had i mean you probably have had a lot of success stories i imagine from this i wouldn't imagine it would go badly for anybody really
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I guess it's relative to what people consider bad. You know, on my page, I often debunk a good bit of uh, couples therapy myths. And one of mm. the myths that that is very common for me to hear on the phone when someone's reaching out is like, is this going to cause us to get a divorce? Um, <laughs>
0: you
1: know that that's, that's a really common thought and fear that people have. It, um, and so sometimes that does happen. Sometimes I work with a couple and their relationship is not necessarily too far gone, but they don't have the motivation or the desire to work on it. And so the process is to healthily decouple, if you will. But most of the time, it's beautiful success stories. And and I don't necessarily consider decoupling not a success story. You know, if Mm. you've got kids in the mix, and you can healthily part your relationship. And um, I think that's best case scenario sometimes for your children, too. But it just depends, you know, that the journey of couples therapy is fun and it's intense and there's a lot of crazy stories along the way too. And I bet. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a good job.
0: Yeah, because I think maybe in, this, in the movies you kind of, you see couples therapy as being represented as like last resort, you're basically going to get divorced or broken up anyway. So that yeah. that's what couples who are not meant to be together do to sort of like, cling on to the relationship like i remember mm-hmm. in the the film how to lose a guy in 10 days where like after a few days she's like go to couples therapy with me he's like okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember that. um but it's actually in reality it's not it's not the case it's it's the same as any other therapy i guess because that would be the same as saying if someone was to go to therapy for i don't know trauma that they had in their childhood that's like saying people who have had trauma in their childhood are write-offs and they're never going to be anything you know mm-hmm. what I mean so so yeah I think it's a good myth to debunk that therapy isn't um is it oh yeah isn't like that it's actually yeah
1: a tool. it's not a last ditch effort exactly you're right it's a tool and and I think that's that's part of the education I'm passionate about is showing people that when you invest in your relationship routinely you have a far better chance at staying successful and healthy and we do that in almost every other domain in our life, right? Like professionally, a lot of us go to conferences or we mm. we get continuing education or we do these things to continue to develop in every domain. And yet our relationship is like, oh, no, I can't talk to someone. That would make it <laughs> seem like I'm terrible. That would make it seem like our relationship is headed towards the gutter and mm. actually quite the opposite. Um and I tend to work with a clientele that is highly motivated too. So I mean, it's it's wonderful work because there are couples who come in and they say, "Hey, we've got this trouble spot. Um, can you help us?" And they're really motivated to work through it, and and I love that, and that that makes
0: it fun. And I think that promotes the how do I say this? Like, so I feel like people with you know the social media world with TikTok and Instagram and you know how relationships are portrayed in films and tv like relationships can seem so fickle nowadays and people could very easily just say oh I'm breaking up with this person today and I'm going out with this person tomorrow whereas I think the methods you kind of teach is kind of promotes people sticking to it and Mm -hmm. it shows how important relationships are they're not just You know, disposable cutlery. You know, you can just throw away. Mm -hmm. It's like, and I will say, I'm a big believer that, like, if you're, if you're with somebody that doesn't make you happy, there's no point staying with them, just for the sake of having somebody because of social pressure or whatever it is. Because I feel like a lot Mm -hmm. of people still, uh, I don't know, both genders, I guess, that they just get used to having a boyfriend or girlfriend, and, but if they ask themselves honestly that the relationship probably isn't making them that happy but oh well might as well stay with them because Mm -hmm. you know otherwise I'd rather that than be single Mm um (laughs) and I'm I'm a believer that obviously that's that's not healthy and like I I I would much rather be single if I wasn't happy in a relationship Mm -hmm. um and it kind of drives me crazy that people I don't know I feel like by doing that you're you're not respecting the union of a of a relationship between two people and it's kind of I don't know I can't think of the right word to describe it but you know what I mean
1: Mm -hmm. well I think a, a thing that I explore often with couples whether they're dating or engaged or married is what they believe is the philosophy of that relationship and Some people believe the purpose of a relationship is happiness some people believe the purpose of relationship is personal growth that when you partner with someone that's the that's the whole point is you will make each other stronger some people believe um marriage is for a lifetime no matter how terrible or horrible it gets other people believe (laughs) you know that's not the case so it's really i I work with the framework that each couple presents or brings to me and um and there's a variety of frameworks out there Mm -hmm. but I, I certainly am an advocate for relationships. I'm an advocate for couples putting in the work and, you know, as long as the relationship's not toxic or abusive, almost anything can be explored and worked through hmm. if two people are willing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, so I yeah, I, I agree that as long as there's no major abuse going on, then it's, it's workable. You can sort it out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and do you have, like, I imagine your advice changes, depending what couple you see or what individual you see. But is there like a one-liner or a motto that you find yourself always saying or advising Mm -hmm. to people?
1: Oh, yeah, I like that. Let me think. My clients do pick on me that I say the same things a lot. So (laughs) I'm sure there is. (laughs) I I say give grace a lot. I think like give yourself grace, give your partner grace. Um, So that's a big one that has some pretty strong undertones that have to do with, if you are coming into your relationship convinced that you're right, convinced that your story is the right one, um, your relationship is going to continue to hit the same trouble spots. So, so that's a big one. I use the language of grace quite a bit. Compassion is another word I use quite a bit. Um, the importance of showing your partner compassion, that they are a broken um, person trying to heal and trying to grow just as much as you are. And so Um, sometimes I get clients who are just really intensely against their partner and you can just see how they're so, they're, they're so hurt by the relationship that it's hard for them to have compassion. And that's often something I'm looking for is what is the person's capacity to hold compassion when your partner is telling you how hard something is or how painful something is? Are you just focused on your wounds or can Mm -hmm. you actually hold space for, for theirs um hold space is another one that i another phrase i use quite a bit is the importance of being a grounded confident partner that can hold this energy that says no matter how you show up i'm here i care i love you and i think that's really powerful to offer in a relationship yeah those are some of the ones i
0: can think yeah. of yeah like, and they're also quite short as well like easy to remember mm-hmm. it's basically yeah. just understanding isn't it sort of yes being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes because I think yep. relationships, I imagine when people get hurt by the person they're supposed to love the most, regardless if the person in question knows they've hurt you or not, in that case, it's really, I mean, I'm sure I can talk from experience. It's hard to like put yourself in their shoes like, or oh, maybe they didn't mean it or maybe they meant this or maybe they didn't actually mean to call you a cow. Maybe they meant something else or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Because I feel like I mean, in any case, when you get hurt, you always you automatically do become a little bit selfish, don't you? Because it's it's your wounds and that person just hurt you. So mm-hmm. why should you care about what they're thinking? Mm-hmm. But actually, it can be quite a powerful tool to flip it, and and in some cases, i it could save a lot of arguments. <laughs> sure. Well,
1: and I always tell people that. You know, empathy is somewhat an inherent trait. Some people are naturally gifted at the capacity to Mm -hmm. empathize with others, but it's also a skill. You know, therapists are taught the skill in school, and it's something that you learn how to do is to listen and to care about what other people are saying, even if you disagree. And so I always tell couples, you know, you can flex this muscle of empathy over time if you want to. It's you know, it's a choice and um And if someone isn't wanting to have empathy or isn't wanting to hold space, then that's always an avenue for me to explore with them is what's the hang up here? What's the resistance? Why are you unwilling to have empathy for your partner? What's the barrier? And often there's some sort of trauma or wound or something that's keeping them from being willing to consider their partner's perspective.
0: Where do you stand on arguments because what i've heard is arguments are healthy and actually mm-hmm. there's this sort of stereotype that oh if a couple isn't arguing then there's something wrong um and yeah because for you where does it go from being healthy to unhealthy disagreements and arguing mm-hmm
1: yeah, in in my family they coined this term years ago when my husband and I would get into arguments. They called them bickerments. So we weren't <laughs> we weren't just bickering, but we weren't to the point of arguing. We were somewhere in the middle. So we were you know in these bickerments.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: when it comes to couples, every couple has this what what we call in the therapy world a couple dance or a cycle. And you know, one of you is a pursuer, one of you is a withdrawer. That's about eighty five percent of couples. Sometimes you have two pursuers or two withdrawers, but As you described, if you have two withdrawers, then they're never talking about anything. They're avoiding conflict at all costs. And if you have two pursuers, then that looks like two cooks in the kitchen, and it can get very intense and very heated. So actually, when you have a partnership that has a pursuer and a withdrawer, it's not bad. It it actually is Mm. sometimes the best case scenario because the dance itself can flow a little bit more easily. Um, The problem is that when couples have a heightened or polarized dance and when they're not in the flow pattern, when they're more toxic in their dance, then you see these stereotypical behaviors where a pursuer is like, you know, if you leave it, if you leave this room, you don't love me. It's like, well, if someone leaves a room because they're overwhelmed or tired or Mm. frustrated, it doesn't mean that they don't love you. But when a dance, when that dance gets so toxic, that's what we normally see. So for me arguing is not a bad thing um at all actually i think it's it's good for your kids to see it's good for you guys to work through and to develop skills it's about what shows up in the arguing so you often hear like do couples fight fair that language and so what we're looking for what we're assessing for in the therapy world is is there stonewalling is there com- contempt is there name calling like those kinds mm. of things you know, it's one thing to get heated and passionate and to have your own personality style and to just feel like your partner's not doing it the right way.
0: It's another <laughs> thing
1: to get in a conflict and to, you know, throw these accusations like you're a terrible person and you should kill yourself. You know, like th- mm. those are things that I hear couples say to each other and it's wow. tragic. It's mm. intense and it's tragic. So to me, it's, it's more so about what shows up in the arguing and less about the fact that the couple is arguing.
0: Mm. Uh- does it, because I'm thinking about me and my partner, we tend to have these bickerments I would say. We've never had like a full-on argument. But like these bickerments normally thinking about it, we only have them over the silly stuff. But then the serious stuff, well, you know, I see an issue and I want to talk about it. We have a conversation about it. I don't get mad because I, I think maybe inside, I think... This is an important conversation. I don't want to get heated because then he'll shut down. So then we we tend to have a good conversation. Rather as we might argue about, uh, like the other day, I told him to light a candle because I've been making some candles and then the, what well, I've made some candles um, and they're supposed to cure for a few days for the you know the scent and the wax to sort of you know you know develop. Um, and I said, light the the red one, just a normal like Yankee candle. And I walked in and he'd lit the candle I'd literally just made. And I was like, I gave you <laughs> one job, seriously? <laughs> so we tend to argue about like these tiny little things that really don't matter in hindsight. But then the serious stuff, it's like we sort of, you know, come down an, an octave or two, which I yeah. guess is kind of good. But
1: Yeah, it's good self-awareness. It, it, ultimately, if you want that area to be
0: resolved, then maintaining regulation is
1: key. Nobody's going to want to stay in a conversation that's dysregulated. It's traumatizing.
0: Yeah, because for me, I think, because when you're saying about the pursuer and what's the other term? Withdrawer. Withdrawer. So can you see that in terms of, say, when a couple are having an argument? Is it the person who is sort of blanks out? You know when two people are having an argument and one person wants to talk about it and the other person just withdraws, like you say. Mm-hmm. So is that like a classic representation of those two kind of stereotypes?
1: Yes. Yeah. That, that, that's okay. the most typical couple dance is a pursuer and a withdrawer. And pursuers are often the the person that moves toward. So they might you might find a pursuer following their partner around the house. You know, the the withdrawer keeps leaving the room. The pursuer keeps following. The pursuer also often wants resolution. They want to feel like the situation is closed. They wanna keep fighting until it's done. The withdrawer feels very differently. They want to exit the situation. It's too overstimulating, it's too overwhelming, Mm -hmm. and it's causing them to want to shut down which enacts the fears of the pursuer, right? When the withdrawer starts Mm. to shut down, the pursuer starts to feel like you don't care. You're not listening to me. You must not love me. And it just exacerbates it because the withdrawers, you know, in their head, they're rolling their eyes. Like, no, it's not any of that. And they start to feel defeated. And that defeating makes them just want to retreat even more. So you can Mm. see how the two really just feed off of each other, which is part of the reason why identifying your cycle and working with it is is really healing for a couple.
0: Mm yeah if I'm thinking about it I think with me and my partner we kind of rotate the roles depending on the context I think in arguments I'm the one who's the pursuer because I typical woman I suppose that I want answers and I want to talk about it because there's that classic phrase isn't there don't go to bed on an argument Mm -hmm. Um, whereas he tends to just go quiet (laughs) which isn't a problem you know I'd rather him do that than also be a pursuer and then argue back yeah. at me and then it could get really toxic but then right. we're not arguing i'm quite happy like in my kitchen now just working and then he'll be the one to come and find me be like what are you doing like come in come spend time with me mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah that's an interest i'm gonna think about that now mm-hmm. um but yeah i wanted to ask um because it's valentine's day on sunday yeah what's your opinion of valentine's day as a therapist this is such a loaded
1: question valentine's <laughs> day is um it's a tough time for in the therapy world i've had clients who people are so funny about stuff i've had clients schedule appointments on valentine's day because they'll they will say things like well we'll see if he actually comes through and you're like oh, oh gosh. gosh this is this is going to be intense um <laughs> So you know, I've had to work with my own stuff around Valentine's Day. My husband's birthday is actually the day after Valentine's Day, ah. so you know, he, he, it's always been a time of the year where there's more energy and attention focused on him, and which is fine. My husband also hates gifts, hates attention, and he <laughs> doesn't doesn't particularly enjoy holidays. He's not very, he's not just a holiday kind of person. So, um, I learned early on in our relationship that he wasn't going to get me some big, massive teddy bear and chocolates and things like that. But over the years, through conversations and conflict and bickerments and things like that, we've been able to figure out and settle into what works for us. So often, it's a subtle acknowledgement. It's, you know, hey, it's this day, we might give each other a card or write a little letter, something very simple. Um, Neither of us is super materialistic. So it's not really a day where we're like, buy me a new iPhone or something like that um but I say every couple needs to make it their own you know if you're the kind of couple that is idealistic and magical and fun and wants to make it this valentine's day to um to never forget then so be it you know you got to make it your Mm -hmm. own and um and really honor what your relationship needs
0: yeah because I think I don't know if it's different in America but in Europe it's kind of valentine's day is it's I mean in the UK it's quite prominent but I feel like the like the further into Europe you go like I mean talking continental Europe it's a lot more watered down so like I could go in a shop in the UK and there'd be lots of Valentine's Day cards and like presents and whatever but like I was in a shop today in Poland and it's like one tiny little I don't know what it was like a display with like some really like half-assed kind of like gifts put together and I was like uh but I mean I kind of I think when you're when you're a teenager it's, it, it looks all cool doesn't it and you think oh you know someone could get me a gift whatever but I think as I've got older you know I mean I'm one of those people I'm like I'm not bothered about it but then at the same time I imagine if my partner didn't even acknowledge it was Valentine's Day I'd be like hmm. you know <laughs> at least say happy Valentine's Day. But, yeah you,
1: um, you want something yeah. and that's that's the key is paying attention to what that whatever that something is I'm very similar like I don't need it to be a whole big thing but I do want that like roll over in bed look me in the eyes and tell me hey happy valentine's day I love you like that that's enough for me so I think it's different for every couple but I mean it certainly speaks to some of the consumerism just how much is there in the U.S. or the U.K. as opposed to other parts of the Mm. world but yeah
0: it's kind of I kind of feel dead inside when I see these adverts for like you say an iPhone sale for Valentine's Day or like the same as you know for sales for you know going back to school and they're advertising really expensive laptops and I'm like if I when I was a kid if I asked for a laptop for like going back to school my mom would have said hell no like you're getting your <laughs> yeah. shoes and your school uniform that's all you're getting and maybe a pencil case but yeah, when you see Valentine's sales, you know, with all these materials, like not even, not even remotely romantic things, like chocolates, I get flowers, I get, like, I would be happy with those. But I don't understand people that are like, yeah, my boyfriend got me like an iPad for Valentine's Day, and mm-hmm. I'm like, why? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting to see how it. But I have a sibling who loves to give gifts, and so. When holidays come around birthdays valentine's day she's all about like i'm gonna buy him an xbox i'm gonna buy him this i'm like all right if you want so
0: everybody's Mm -hmm. different yeah and have you had many couples have arguments about valentine's day about oh yeah someone's needs wasn't met or whatever it was
1: yeah expectations is a big one around not just valentine's day the holidays get really tough too around thanksgiving and christmas there's a lot of expectation about how things should go and what the family time should look like what the couple time should look like what gifts should look like who's wrapping the gifts i can't tell you how many times i've heard a woman say i was up all night wrapping gifts and you didn't help at all it's you know couples getting the same patterns for sure mm,
0: that's why i'm kind of i feel lucky that it's literally just me my boyfriend here so literally wrapping gifts takes like half an hour <laughs> but valentine's day i mean yeah i would say I, I don't know I'm not I think if I was single I wouldn't be bothered about it mm. but in a couple but at the same time I'm not bothered about it in a couple either it's just another I hate to say it but it's like an Americanized holiday that's what yeah. we say in Europe it's like if a lot if so if you meet someone that doesn't like Valentine's Day they probably say oh it's just an Americanized holiday
1: like
0: mm-hmm. whatever but yeah we yeah, say that here nice. too <laughs> so americanization is actually a thing in america
1: yeah i I think people often Mm. feel like things are well maybe we wouldn't use the language of americanized maybe consumerized but capitalized Um, yeah yeah
0: well thanks for your advice on valentine's day yeah of course your time (laughs) did you have anything else you wanted to bring up any
1: I don't think so. It's just nice to get to chat about the realm of couples therapy and what it means and how it, how it goes. People can find me on Instagram at Dr. Kendra Ohura. They want to give me a follow or ask questions about the couples therapy process. I post a lot about what to expect and how to find a therapist and all of that good stuff. So while I'm not an expert internationally speaking, I often have contacts and colleagues and I can point people in the right direction. So people can always follow me and, and reach out if they need help.
0: Yeah, and I think it's always great to follow pages like yours because, you know, you posted formative content and even from one Instagram post, you can learn something. So Mm -hmm. you never know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on the show.
0: Much for listening to this episode of the Badass Female Podcast. If you would like more information about Dr. Kendra O'Hora and the services she and her colleagues offer over at Wellness and Co., head to their website wellnessandco.org. You can also follow Dr. Kendra O'Hora on Instagram at drkendraohora. All of her details will be in the description below for those of you that are interested. Um, and also, while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to Badass Female Podcast. We post episodes here nearly every week. Depends how I feel. You can give us a follow on Spotify or a subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And actually talking about Apple, um, for those of you Apple users, why not hit that fifth star and give us a written review? Um, The Apple Podcast app is actually probably the only app you can review podcasts on. So it really helps us podcasters out if you just, you know, give us a little review. It really makes our day. Uh, You can also join our Facebook group literally called Badass Female Podcast and follow us on Instagram at badass underscore female underscore podcast. Very easy to remember. Okay, with all of that said, I hope you had a great week. I hope you have a lovely weekend and I'll be back next week with another amazing episode. See ya.